shows you, you know, we got an enemy that just doesn't want the Word of God out. So, but we're going we're gonna to overcome that. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. The story is told of a father who gathered his six sons around him to demand, which one of you boys pushed the outhouse into the creek? The culprit did not step forward. Now, boys, his father said, remember the story of George Washington and the cherry tree. It's true that young George chopped down that tree, but he told his father the truth, and his father was proud of him. Whereupon hearing this, the youngest son stepped forward and admitted that he had pushed the outhouse into the creek. The farmer immediately picked up a switch and whipped his boy soundly. But Pa protested the boy tearfully. You told me that George Washington's father was proud of him when he confessed to chopping down the tree when he told the truth. He says, he was, son. He says, but George Washington's father wasn't sitting in the cherry tree when his son chopped it down. Or perhaps you've heard the story of the little boy who yelled, Mom, come quick, there's a bear in our yard. And out of breath and scared to death, Junior's mom looked out the window and said, Junior, that's just Harold's dog. Go to your room and ask God to forgive you for lying and scaring me like that. A few minutes later, Junior reappeared. His mother asked, did you ask God to forgive you for your lie? He said, yes, Mom, I did, but God said it was okay. She said, he did? He said, yeah, he told me the first time he saw Harold's dog, he thought it was a bear too. You know, those two stories illustrate or help illustrate the confusion and justification that's often associated with the sin of lying. In the first story, the young boy mistakenly believed that because he told the truth, there should be no consequences for his action. The second little boy figured, hey, you know what? It was just an honest mistake. Lying, like so many other violations of God's standards, perhaps you remember hearing somewhere along the line, thou shalt not lie. Lying, like so many other God's standards, have become so commonplace, like so many other violations of God's standards have become so commonplace that we've given it less offensive names. Now, I don't know if any of you watched the uh, show Survivor. I heard a few people have. Uh, and there's probably a few of you that did here. You may recall when they were being interviewed as to whether they had any regrets or if there's anything that they said or did that they were sorry for. Uh, did they ever lie to one another? And the answer that came back almost, uh, almost every time was this. Well, you know what? It, we were just playing the game. We were just playing the game. Perhaps you've heard it said that there are half-truths or little white lies or shading the truth. Or exaggerations. This past week, someone mentioned to me that there's such a thing as a well-meaning fib. Now, according to the book entitled The Day America Told the Truth by Patterson and Kim, there's a serious problem of lying in America. Consider some of what they had to say. Quote, Americans lie. They lie more than we ever thought possible before we conducted the study. But they told us the truth about how much they lie. Are they really positive that that's the case? It says, The majority of us find it hard to get through a week without lying. One in five can't make it through a single day, and we're talking about conscious, premeditated lies. In fact, the way some people talk about trying to do without lies, you'd think they were smokers trying to get through a day without a cigarette. When we refrain from lying, it's less often because we think it's wrong, only 45%, than for a variety of other reasons, among them the fear of being caught. We lie to just about everyone. And the better we know someone, the likelier we are to have told them a serious lie. 
Now, of course, there are white lies and trivial lies or trivial fibs and the lies we tell to spare someone's feelings. I caught myself in one of those yesterday. My wife and family were going to Fresno to a family friend's wedding and I told them, tell them I'm sorry I can't be there. I caught myself, and I told them, no, tell them I'm glad I had other commitments. (laughs) On a more serious note, there are serious lies. 36% of Americans confess to telling that kind of darker lie which several people refer to as the real lies. We asked people to define what they meant by serious lie. Their answers fell into four categories. Serious lies, they said, are those that hurt other people. Serious lies violate a trust. Serious lies involve crime or legal consequences. Serious lies are totally self-serving, are about who and what we are, masking the real truth. Everyone lies, but some people lie much more than others. Case in point, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 4 as we look through chapter 5, where we're introduced to a couple who had apparently embraced lying as a way of life. And it's from their lives and subsequent deaths that we clearly learn of the danger of lying. Acts chapter 4, starting with, uh, let's start with verse 32. We read these words, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself, with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. In order to understand the background for the incident, we need to remember from Acts chapter 4, these first verses 32 through 37, and also earlier in Acts chapter 2, that a spirit of unity and unselfishness and giving and concern and encouragement was dominating the church in Jerusalem. 
The church was unified. It said it was of one mind and one heart. And so it was magnified. It found favor in sight of all the people and it was multiplied. It's saying that God had added to their numbers daily, unified, magnified, multiplied. And despite an angry and hostile attempt to oppose uh, the furthering of the gospel, the believers spoke the word with boldness. It was a time of great spiritual high. But as we learn, it's also a time of great spiritual danger. Satan had failed completely in his attempt to silence the witness of the church. We saw that the enemy never gives up. He simply changes his strategy. At first, he tried to oppose the furthering of the gospel by bringing those on the outside, opposition from the outside. And when that failed and they continued to speak and preach the, the gospel boldly, then Satan changes his strategy and he starts to attack the church from within. His strategy never changes. He either attacks from without or he attacks from within. And we must face the fact that Satan is a clever foe. If he doesn't succeed as a devouring or roaring lion, then he will disguise himself as an angel of light or a deceiving serpent. But he's hell-bent on keeping the Word of God from being proclaimed. So as we observe from the story as it unfolds, there's some lessons to be learned as to the danger of lying and the seriousness of it. The first thing that stands out that we'll look at is the response of Ananias and Sapphira to the giving of Barnabas and the giving of those in the congregation who gave from their hearts. The response that we see is found in verse 1 and 2 where we read, But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a couple of things that stand out immediately. The first one is that of contrast. During this time of great spiritual awakening and generosity, we're introduced to a man by the name of Joseph or Barnabas, who led by the Holy Spirit, sold a piece of his property and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. He was an example of everything that was going on. He was an example of one of many who were doing a similar thing. And as we look at the first word in chapter 5, as you'll notice, we find, the word that, we find the word but. And it indicates to us that something's not right. But is a word of contrast, strong, strong contrast. As we read through the Bible, you'll notice that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a strong contrast that's being brought out here. As we end chapter 4, it ends with a man who gave voluntarily. He was motivated by his love for God. He was motivated by the Holy Spirit to do what he did, which was selling that piece of property, to take that money and lay it at the apostles' feet, to be used by the, by the ministry to meet the needs of those whom God would bring into their midst. He did it voluntarily, and he did it in the spirit of giving that's outlined in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Chapter 5 opens with, but a certain man. We already sense that something's not right we already sense that there's going to be something that's drastically different than what we just heard of the encouragement of Barnabas to the people of God. It's an episode that deals with lying and it's sorely needed in our culture which condones lying in almost every context. The last several years we've seen it emanate from the White House and we've seen it trickle down and the effect has been devastating to our culture. And we need to recognize and understand that the Bible has much to say about lying and it is a very serious matter it's a very serious sin. It's a sin that God says He hates. It's an abomination to God. Lying and deceit are an abomination to God and never an approved method of trying to accomplish what it is that we want to accomplish. And at the start of God's church, He establishes His character and justice and makes it clear that, there, that, that in the church, 
the church cannot get away with sin. That God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. But it's also important to recognize that God doesn't tolerate or excuse sin of any kind and that it must be dealt with. In Acts 5, God makes a statement, obviously, and it's a very loud and very clear statement that He will judge sin. The contrast between Barnabas and Ananias is critical to see in order to understand what it is that God wants us to learn. And it's also important at this time to realize that Barnabas is introduced to us for many reasons. Number one, the first is that he was generous. He was a generous giver and he illustrated everything that Luke was writing about inspired by the Spirit up to this point as to the unity and the generosity of this congregation. He was a generous man. The second reason he's introduced is because he's introduced as a strong contrast to what we find happening in chapter 5 in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Apparently, his, his giving created envy in their hearts. And when we look back at the beginning of mankind, we realize that that is not a new problem. It was the the giving or the gift of Abel that was acceptable to God in his sight that created envy in the heart of his brother Cain and ultimately led to murder. And as we look, there's strong similarities between what we find here and what we find there as well. Thirdly, he's introduced because he has an important ministry. He's mentioned over 25 times in the book of Acts. He's, he's He's a wonderful man. He's a godly man. He's a role model for every one of us. He's an example for us to follow. A son, the son of encouragement. What a wonderful truth that is. I would wonder, you know, as, as we get to know one another, if we could claim that to be true of our lives. Do people feel better about your presence in their life and having spent time with you? Are you an encouragement to them? And encouraging one another, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. See, there was a strong contrast that's laid out for the purpose of teaching all of us a lesson about the danger of lying. The second thing is that you'll notice there was a conspiracy. And the conspiracy is laid out very clearly before us. Ananias and his wife agreed in private to lie about their giving. There was no sin in selling the property or keeping it. There was no sin in once they sold the property in what they would do with the money that they got or the proceeds from selling it. They could have given it. They could have kept it. They could have kept the land. They could have gave the land. They could have sold the land. They could have kept the money. They could have done whatever they wanted to do. But they conspire to lie and be deceptive about their giving. The question that we get asked is this, why? What would motivate someone to lie about their giving? I think George MacDonald said it best when he says this, half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Jesus called it hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means simply wearing a mask, putting on a show, putting on an act, making people believe that you're something that you're really not. The greatest rebuke of Jesus came to hypocrites. Stop playing the game. Stop pretending that you're something that you're not. Stop pretending on the outside that you're something that you're not on the inside. He said to the religious leaders that they were whitewashed sepulchers. For those of us not familiar with the term, it would be like they were whitewashed tombs. And they would clean up a tomb and they would paint it on the outside, but he said it was inside was filthy bones and, and, and decay. 
said on the outside they presented themselves to be something that they weren't to the world. And the world saw one thing, but God saw something else because God knows our hearts. See, many of us play that religion game. We come all dressed up. We come to church. We carry our Bibles. We go to our little groups. We go to our prayer groups. We go to our accountability groups. We do all of that, and we put on a show for the people around us. But God's not mocked by any of that. He's not fooled by it at all because God sees our hearts. He knows even our thoughts and the intents. The Word of God says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and the intents of our heart. See, God knew the intent of Ananias and Sapphira. He knew what their motive was. You know, we get a lot of times where people say, you can't judge my motive. You don't know my heart. You know what? And a lot of times that's true. But on the other side, don't ever deceive yourself into thinking that God doesn't because He does. He knows our motives. He knows our hearts. He knows why we do what we do when a lot of times the people around us don't. And He's not fooled by any of that. Jesus rebuked those for being hypocrites. He denounced it and He warned His disciples of its evil influence and how it can creep in even to the life of a believer who begins to worry more about what people think on the outside than what's really going on in their heart. And he also said that, you know what? Hell will be populated by those who are hypocrites. You know, it's interesting is before I was a Christian, and I, I know a lot of you probably said the same thing, but I was never interested in Christianity or the claims of Christ because of Christians. Because of people who talked out of one side of their mouth and lived completely differently. Didn't have an interest. If you're a Christian, I must be a Christian because we're all doing the same thing. The only difference is you're selling people one thing and I know the other. It wasn't until we met people that walked the walk and lived what they lipped, so to speak, that we became attracted to the claims of Christ. Ananias means God is gracious, but he learned that God is also holy. Sapphira means beautiful, but her heart was ugly with sin. You know, and as we read something like this, no doubt the skeptics or those who are cynical would read that and say, boy, you know what? That sure is, sure is brutal what God did here. But you know what? We need to look at the uglier part, and that's the sin that led to God to act the way that He did. Their response to Barnabas' gener- generosity was to try to get the same strokes from others without the same sacrifice. They wanted to be recognized by man rather than rewarded at a later date by the Lord who is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love and the love that you've shown towards his name and having ministered to the saints. They were more concerned about the strokes of men than the applause of heaven. And you know, I'll tell you what, it really challenges you to think about our motivation, doesn't it? Why do we do what we do? Why do you make it personally? Ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Do I do it so that I get the strokes of people? Or do I do it because I know one day that God is not unjust and He will reward us for doing that which He's called us to do? They wanted their recognition now, here on this side of eternity. They got recognized, all right, but not the way that they hoped. You see, Barnabas was getting recognition for his generosity and they were envious of what they saw. And so they came up with a game plan, and the game plan is that, hey, this is cool. We can get the same kind of strokes, we can get the same kind of recognition without making the same kind of sacrifice. So we'll just give a little, and we'll keep the rest to ourselves. Nobody will know any different, and it's going to be great. We're going to have the best of both worlds. 
How many times as believers do we erroneously think that? I can have the best of this life and still be living to please God. I can have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. Man, it's wonderful. I'm going to keep that balancing act going. I can compromise in this area, but I can do this in that area, and it all balances out because God grades on a curve. But He doesn't. And we're going to see that He doesn't. Notice the second thing that stands out, and that is the rebuke, the rebuke of Peter. Look at verses 3 and 4. The rebuke of Peter, we read these words. But Peter said, notice that, but another contrast. They came, made a big scene, look what we're doing, look what we're giving. Aren't we generous? Aren't we like Barnabas? Hey, everybody take note of what's going on. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to, to God. The first thing that stands out is this. Their sin was energized by Satan. And what we mean by that is, notice the question that he asks in verse 3. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? The verb translated filled has the idea of control or influence. It's the same verb that's used in the command in Ephesians where it talks about be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be influenced by God to do good. Why is it that you are influenced by Satan to do that which is wrong? The point is Ananias, a believer, was controlled and influenced by Satan and not by the Spirit of God. If Satan can't defeat the church by attacks from the outside, then he moves on within. Paul warns of that later in Acts chapter 20. He knows how to lie to church members. He knows how to lie to the minds and hearts of genuine Christians and to get them to follow his orders. You know, Jesus warned that Satan is the father of all lies. That he was a murderer from the beginning, a liar from the beginning. He called into question the truth of God's word and he influenced those, in this case, Adam, to sin against God. You know, what's interesting is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 was written to God's people, putting on the full armor of God, not to unbelievers. And so there's a warning here that even God's people can be influenced by Satan. How about when Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, hey, you're not going to go and die. It'll never happen to you, Matthew 16. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. Well, that's a strong rebuke. Because he was saying, you're not being influenced by God and God's plans. You're being influenced by the enemy who doesn't want me to accomplish what I'm here to accomplish. Get behind me, Satan. Influenced by Satan. The fact that Peter asked this question, notice what he says. Why is it? Or how has it come that you've done this? The question implies or infers that Ananias had sin in his life that he had never dealt with. That's important to recognize and understand. It implies that Satan had gained control because Ananias had not dealt with some previous sin in his life. In other words, as believers, we knowingly allow Satan to gain a foothold or a base of operation in our life by disobeying God and not yielding to his spirit. We know as believers when we sin. Before I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I sinned because I'm a sinner. It came natural. It was what you do. You just did it. 
I lied because you covered your butt. I mean, I, I, I did other things that I did because it came natural. It was self-preservation. But as a believer who have come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within me, the bottom line is this. When you and I, having come to faith in Christ, having the Spirit of God indwelling us, the power of the Holy Spirit, the control of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, we deliberately choose to yield to Satan rather than to yield to God. To His influence in our life. And I want you to notice something. Satan can influence a believer to do wrong, but he cannot make us do wrong. He cannot make us do wrong. We choose to do wrong and we're held accountable by God for that choice. Ananias chose to do what he did and his wife Sapphira chose to do what they did. They were influenced by Satan, but Jesus warned, don't be influenced. Don't allow him to gain control of your life. And the way Satan gains control of the life of the believer is that we allow him to come in. We allow him to influence us. We choose to sin. And when we choose in one area, it spreads to another. Sin is like cancer. It's like leprosy, the Bible says. It's not content in staying in an area of your life. Listen very closely. You cannot choose to sin in an area of your life and think it will not affect your total being. Ananias had sin in his life. I believe the sin was the sin of lying and that it became a habit in his life. He saw that it worked to some degree but he forgot the holiness and the justice of God. We need to ask ourselves as we think about it, Peter's rebuke was, why did you let Satan gain control over you? Why did you make such a foolish choice? I can't help but ask the same question today. Are you making a similar fatal mistake? Are you compromising in an area of your life that you know that God's Spirit has been saying to you, stop doing that. What you're doing is wrong. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn back to God and confess your sin and make it right. If we confess our sin, thank God He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God is not mocked. Don't deceive yourself. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. If you're here today and you're listening to these words and the Spirit of God is saying, hey, you know exactly what He's talking about. I encourage you, I beg you to repent, to turn back to God and trust in Him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge Him and He will set your paths straight. They were influenced by Satan but they were also motivated by pride. Their sin was motivated by pride, and pride is a sin that God especially hates. The Bible says that God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. What He whispered in their ear was, hey, you can enjoy all the same attention that you see Barnabas getting. You can bask in the same glory, and you can have the same strokes, and you can have the same recognition, and it can be yours to the taking. I think this is very accurate when Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Think about it very practically. Is not lying associated with just about every sin you can think of? If you cheat, you lie to cover it up. 
If you're guilty of sexual immorality, you lie to cover it up. If you say one thing that you're really not doing, you're lying to cover up what's really going on. It fits everything. Cain murdered his brother, and he lied about it. Adam sinned before God, and he lied about it. And on it goes. It was motivated by pride, though. Man, you can have all the same recognition. Daniel Defoe called pride the first peer and president of hell. It was pride that transformed Lucifer into Satan. It was pride that led to our parents' sin, speaking of Adam and Eve. You can be like God. And they said, okay, and they bought into it. It was motivated by pride. Pride opens the door to every other sin. For once we're more concerned with our reputation than our character, there is no end to the things that we'll do just to make ourselves look good before others. Did you follow that? Pride is more concerned about what other people think about us than who we really are. Ananias and Sapphira were motivated by pride. They were only concerned about what people thought, not what God thought. The sin was directed against God. Notice that. You have not lied to men, but to God. We need to come to the realization that all sin is directed against God. We may harm one another on a horizontal plane, but the reality of it is is that God ultimately is the judge of everything that we do and say. We will give an account to Him where other people may never know. God does. All sin is against God. And the wonderful truth of this passage is also that the Holy Spirit of God is recognized as God. There are those who are out there that come knock on your door and tell you that, you know, they don't believe in the triunity or the trinity of God. They don't believe that God is one in three persons. They don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they'll try to somehow separate or, or, or make this into something that it isn't. And the Bible clearly teaches that lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. Lying to Jesus Christ is lying to God. Lying to the Father is lying to God. For there's only one God in three persons, and that's what the Bible clearly teaches, and this is another example or evidence of that truth. So it's directed against God and also directed against His church. I want you to realize that, you know what? God has placed His church in the world at a very strategic moment in history. God wants to work through His church and He wants those in His church to be clean and to be pure. The reason the church has no impact in the world is because the church, in many cases, is dirty. And we can't accomplish accomplish what it is that God wants us to accomplish. And God, from the beginning of establishing His church, wanted to make sure that everyone in His body realizes the importance of being a pure and holy and clean vessel. Think about this. If God had not done what He did... Ananias and Sapphira would have had an influential position in the early church and they would have destroyed it from within. God purged it. They were dirty. God recognized it and He got them out. He took them out. Do you realize that God has that as an option for our disobedience? That He can take us out It said that many, because of the way that they were conducting themselves in the the Lord's Supper, they made a mockery of it. They turned it into a food fight, into, into some type of food orgy. And God said because of that, many of them were taken out by God 
to purge his church. How amazing would it be today if God gave the same type of discernment to pastors and leaders, to people who are lying in their congregation. Notice that. Peter didn't know whether they were lying or not, but the Spirit of God told him, hey, these people are dirty, and you need to call them on it and hold them accountable. I don't think that Peter knew what was going to happen when he started to ask them the question, why is it that you've lied? Why is it that you've allowed Satan to gain control in your life? Why is it that you're playing this game? I don't think he knew exactly what was going to happen. He was just trusting God and took the first step, asked him the question. What happened after that are the results that we see and the results of lying. Man, I'll tell you what, I would hope that we learn something from this. The results of lying are found in verses 5 through 11. You know, there are always consequences to lies. Always. There's no way you can get around it. There are always consequences to sin, and that's true of the sin of lying. Some more extreme than others, but consequences nonetheless. I love the story that I heard not too long ago about a pastor who loved to go golfing. Man, he loved golfing. He got up on one Sunday morning, he looked outside, and it was just a beautiful day, and he couldn't help himself. He just wanted to go golfing. He called in sick. I can't come today, I'm sick. He sneaks out and he goes to the golf course. And man, he is just tearing it up. He's having the best round of golf he's ever played in his life. The angels in heaven are sitting and watching this and they're looking at God trying to figure out, God, what in the world's going on here? This guy lied. And you're rewarding him with the best round of golf he's ever had. They didn't say anything at that point. They were watching this. 17th hole, they can't believe what happens. Par 3, pastor... Hole-in-one. First hole-in-one he's ever had in his life. The angels can't take it anymore. God, what are you doing? The guy lied. And you're rewarding him with the best round of golf he's ever had in the first hole-in-one of his life. What in the world's going on? And God just smiled and looked at him and said, but who can he tell? (laughs) Who can he tell? Sometimes the consequences are what we would look at as trivial. Maybe not as, as drastic. Other times, they're very drastic. Look at Ananias. What was the consequence or the result of his lying? As he heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He dropped dead. Wow, can you imagine? Can you imagine today? I'll tell you what, there'd be a whole lot less lying going on is what I'm thinking. Could you imagine your oldest child lying right to you, right on the spot, zap, dead, gone. I'm thinking the rest of your children are thinking, it ain't going to happen to me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, I'll tell you, that's a word picture you don't forget. He... And I like what the Bible tells us. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. You think... You think? I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I would think so. It says, as he heard, great, uh, he just dropped dead. Young men arose, covered him up, carried him out, buried him, took him out. According to the Old Testament, the judgment of God, immediate burial. Plus, they lived in an area where there's no refrigeration, no way to take care of it. It started to stink after a while, so the stank they took out. And they buried him. Okay? That was the consequence or the result of his lies. Now, Sapphira comes in. Okay? Three hours later. Now, that goes to show you how long those church services last, huh? Three hours, man. Y'all looking at your watch already. 
Three hours later, she comes in, not knowing what's going on. And I want you to think about something. Satan always keeps people in the dark. But God exposes everything to the light. See, God doesn't want us to live in ignorance of His Word and His will. He exposes it. He gives, it, he gives us everything we need in the Word of God. He gives us the Holy Spirit's presence in our life to teach us and guide us into all truth. God doesn't want His people to be ignorant of Him, His will, His principles, His truth. He, he's given us access to all of it. But Satan, he wants to keep people in the dark. Sapphira came in. She didn't even know what happened to her husband. Peter asked her the same question. Is this how much money that you got for the sale of your land? She said, yeah, absolutely. Now, some of us are sitting here thinking, you know, he set her up. But the reality of it was, he showed her mercy. See, Proverbs 28, 13 says that, you know what, if we conceal our sin, if we hide it, if we cover it, that we will not find mercy. But if we confess our sin and forsake it, that we will find mercy and forgiveness by God. Do you realize that Sapphira had an opportunity to confess her sin? How many of us as parents have done the same with our own children? Hey, uh, you want to tell me where you were? You want to tell me what you did? I mean, listen to me, young people, if you're here. When your parents ask you something like that, get a clue. They already know. I mean, duh. What are you, stupid? Yeah. You know, they, they know. It's like, man, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, we have friends that, you know, their son skipped school once. And, uh, you know, and, there's a, and the message on the, their answer machine was from the teacher saying, hey, your, your kid didn't come to school today. And so the son comes walking in later in the day, and it's like, hey, uh, what you do today? How was school? It was great. Really? That's interesting. Listen to this. You know, then they do that, you know, Daffy Ducking, or a Porky Pig, you know. It's like, hey, you know, it's like, look, she had a chance to confess her sin. She chose to remain hard-hearted and stubborn, and God took her out. And the young men arose again. And they picked up her body and they took her out and they buried her body next to her husband. I'm thinking those young men that were busy that day burying people probably never struggled with the sin of lying. (laughs) That's my thought. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that that was the case. You know, she had a chance to confess her sin. 1 Corinthians 11.31 promises and warns us to judge ourselves lest we be judged by God. I want to ask you something very serious to take into consideration. If you are here today and you are guilty of sin, then God in His mercy has given you an opportunity to confess it, to agree with Him that you're wrong, to repent and to turn from it and turn back to God. And in His mercy, He promises to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you choose not to judge yourself, then God will step in and judge you. For he is a holy and righteous God. And what he chooses to do, he does because of his character and because he's concerned for the purity of his church. There is no room in any church for the sin of lying. Anywhere, from leaders to anybody and everybody, it is a sin that needs to be rooted out because it creates so much damage in the body of Christ. We are all about integrity. 32% of those in that book said that they they believed they had been lied to even by ministers of the gospel. 
And when we don't have integrity, we have nothing to offer the world. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't be double-tongued, the Bible says. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Sapphira did not take up God on his offer of mercy and forgiveness and it cost her her life. She tempted God. She said, I dare you to do something about it. That is the rebellion in the heart of man. If that's true of your life, that's what you're doing and you don't even realize it. You're calling God out. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. You don't want Him to act. Get right with God. The result of the church was there was great fear. There was great fear. I mean, I'm telling you what. There are a whole bunch of people that learned that God is serious about sin. They didn't take it casually any longer. The lesson was well served. And there was great fear. Whatever happened to the fear of God? You know, I hear people talk about, you know, it doesn't really mean fear. It doesn't mean to be afraid. It doesn't mean, it means to respect and awe and reverence. And, and all of that is true. But let me tell you something. If you are guilty of sin, you should be afraid. That's the difference between ignorance and stupidity. Stupid people aren't afraid of the judgment of God. The Bible says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You don't have to live your life looking over your shoulder and wondering if you're going to get caught. Confess your sin. Judge yourself. The result of the church was great fear. The result to the world was the same. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. How do we deal with lying? I want to kind of wrap this all up by giving you a couple, some principles. The remedy for lying, I want to call it. Number one, it's this. We'll do these quickly. One, love others as you love yourself. Love others as you love yourself. And it's very simple language. Here's the way it works. How do you feel when someone lies to you? How do you like it? When you've learned that someone close to you or in your life has deliberately, intentionally, consciously lied right to your face. You don't like it any more than anybody else does. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments say you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't like being lied to, stop lying to other people. If you want to hear the truth, then you know what? Then be committed to telling the truth. There's no such thing in Scripture as a little white lie. There's no such thing as a well-meaning fib. There's no such thing as, you know, uh, something that, that's anything less than a lie that God hates. God hates lying. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Ephesians 4.25 Speak the truth, but do it in love. You know, and we all have to deal with it. We all have to live in a daily world where, you know what, where we, we become afraid that if we speak the truth then there'll be consequences for it. Sometimes don't say anything. You don't always have to say something. You know, it's like, when Linda asked me, and she always does it like this, you don't like this dress I have on, do you? And I'm, a, I'm stupid. 
I don't know. I'm thinking the shaking of the head is, no, I shouldn't like it, or the shaking of the head is, I'm just really trying to test you to see if you really like it, because I love it. And I don't know. You know, so you learn to say things like, you know, you've got another one that I really think you look good in. You know, speak the truth in love. Rather than saying, no, that's hideous, you look stupid in it. That doesn't work, you know? You try it, let me know if you get away with it, but I'm thinking it's not going to work. Speak the truth in love. Hey, pray for God's help. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray for God's help. It's true of everything in our life. Anytime we're tempted to sin in any area, God, give me strength to make the right decision. Give me everything that I need to follow you, to lean on you, not to trust in myself, not to follow my own desires, not, not to live my life according to you know, my emotions or my feelings or my hormones or whatever it is. Give me the strength that I need to be committed to you. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the last thing is rely upon the Holy Spirit. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, King David asked for God's help and he knew he needed it. He said in Psalm 51, he says, you desire truth in our innermost parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a plant like a yucca tree. And what they would do is they would take it and they would rub it on the sores of a leper. And they wouldn't feel it because their skin had become so deadened and hardened by the disease. And it was all scabs and it was all, diff- you know, it was like getting burned and, and not being able to feel the sensation any longer. And what he was saying was this. He used that analogy to help us understand how hard our hearts become when we choose to sin and live under the influence of Satan rather than the influence of the Holy Spirit. We become callous to the Word of God. And what he's saying is, rub those scales and that hardness off my heart so that I can become sensitive to Your Word again, so I can become sensitive to Your will again, so I can become sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit in my life again. Some of us have become so hardened by sin and what we're doing, we don't even sense or feel or hear the voice of the Spirit of God in our life anymore. What a wonderful privilege it is to sense and to know the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life when we're guilty of sin before God. We have a chance then to repent We have a chance to turn from sin and turn back to God. But when we become callous and we're set in our way and and, and we're prideful in what we want to do and it's not God's will anymore but it's ours that will be done and and, and God, we challenge you, do something about it. We become so insensitive to truth that we can't even respond by confessing any longer. David said his heart was like that. For a year after his sin of adultery and murder, for a year he wasn't sensitive to the leading of God in his life. And then God used His Word through a prophet to break His spirit to where He confessed His sin and He said, Lord, use, use that hyssop on me and just cleanse my heart and, and rub off the scales and the hardness and the deceit that comes with sin so that I'm sensitive to Your Word again. You ask any person who has chosen to sin at what point there was in their life and there's always a strategic moment where they decided to trust themselves and not lean on God. Ananias and Sapphira, their sin took place long before this account. They, have become, they had become habitual on their lying, habitual on their sin, worrying more about what people thought than what God thought. And they continued to demonstrate it in their life. And it finally came to a point where God said, I've had enough. And I'm going to judge you for it. And He did. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And you shall not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
My good old southern friend, I can't ever forget him and thank him enough for the saying that he gave me that I, hope, that I hope that I can always live by, and that's this. Always make sure the tongue of your mouth and the tongue of your shoe are going in the same direction. And I would hope and pray to God that every one of us here today have learned how serious the sin of lying is and commit to being people of truth. That God can honor us by honoring Him. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We just praise You for Your mercy. We thank You that You don't deal with us as You've dealt with Ananias and Sapphira because i got a feeling that none of us would be here. And yet we don't take that lightly. We praise You and thank You for that. And at the same time, we ask You to forgive us. God, I just pray that each one of us can become men and women of truth. That we can be open to Your leading in our life that we don't allow for compromise in any little dark corner, that we're open and transparent in our walk with you and in our lives with others. Help us to stop lying about stupid things that just protect what we think we want people to know about us and think about us and feel about us. But let them get to know us for who we really are and if what we're doing is wrong before God, then we have an opportunity to confess our sin and to speak the truth to one another in love so we can become more like Christ in the way we grow. But as we hide the sins of our life from one another, God, all we do is deceive ourselves and hinder the process that you've called us to be conformed to his image and his likeness. I, I just pray, God, that we become people of truth, that even when people don't like what we have to say or want to hear what we have to say, that we'll be more concerned about our character than we are about our reputation. We'll be more concerned about what you think of us than what others think. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.